Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here. I am pastor of community and family, um, and it's my pleasure to be here with you guys this morning. It's a little bit soggy outside, so thank you for stepping in out of the rain and joining us. Um, We are about to start a new series, and we're going to spend five weeks in the two chapters of Revelation, chapters two and chapter three. Um, And we're doing this because, I don't know if any of you guys know this, or some of you might, but we as a church are about to turn 10 next April. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. And so, um, and then also we just planted Doxology Church. um, And yes, well done, guys. Um, But what we, we as kind of like um, a leader team realized is that that was taking a lot of our focus and our energy, and it was all good work, um, but now we're kind of like, oh, Portico. Hmm. Um, And so we're doing this because I think this is a really good time for us as a church to kind of reflect on who we are as a church. And then also, what kind of church do we want to be for the next 10 years? Um, and so what better way to do that than to, um, to go into Revelation chapters 2 and chapters 3, where we see Jesus walking in the midst of his church, and he's pronouncing judgment, he's giving encouragement, and he's telling us how to win as a church. And so we're going to um, go through this, and I want to encourage you guys, as we're in this book, um, engage it. If you've been here for a long time, um, this is a great time to kind of reset and remember who we are as a church. If you're brand new, this is a really good time for you to be here and to um, see how Jesus views the church and then learn kind of how you can join in at Portico for that vision. And so I'm going to set the scene a little bit um, because Revelation requires that. And so I'm going to read from the first chapter, um, and I'm going to read about 11 verses, um, and then I'll kind of explain some of the stuff that's happening to give us a little context. So I'm going to start in Revelation 1, verse 9, and just read to the end of chapter 1 initially, and then we'll deal with chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 in the second So this is Revelation 1, verse 9. Please follow along. If you have a Bible, you can flip to Revelation. It's in the back. Um, And so it's the last book of the Bible. You can just turn there and follow along with me. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice 
was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's quite an intro. So the idea here is that John is taken up in the spirit, and he gets a glimpse of the heavenly reality that only the angels and God and the heavenly host um, have sight for. And so he gets to see things as they truly are and as they truly will be. And the thing that he sees is Jesus in the midst of his church. And so Jesus appears as the Son of Man. This is the apocalyptic judge. Um, It's first kind of shown in Daniel 7. Um, But Jesus is glorified. He is radiant. And he is ruling and presiding over his church. And he's telling John exactly what he wants the church to know. He's telling John exactly what the church has done, what they need to do, and who he wants them to be in the world. And the image that we get, we have Jesus standing there, and he's got the stars in his hand, and he's in the midst of seven lampstands. So the stars, we learn, are the seven angels of the seven churches. And angels are literally just messengers. And so the stars are carrying the heavenly message from Jesus to the church. And the stars go and they light the lampstands. So the message that comes from Jesus to the church lights the lampstands. It lights up the church. And then you have the seven lampstands, and they represent the seven churches. And these churches are spread all throughout Asia Minor, and that's modern-day Turkey. These are real churches. John has labored specifically in Ephesus, but probably in all of these churches. He knows the people in these churches. And so when Jesus is appearing to John, he's doing it very intentionally, because in a way, John has responsibility for all of these churches. And then put yourself in John's place for a minute. Jesus appears to you in this way and calls you by name in the way he did with with John. We would all do exactly what John did. (laughs) When Jesus shows up in his glory, we tremble because he is majestic, he is mighty. He's the first and the last. John walked the earth with Jesus, saw him die, saw him raise, and ascend into heaven. 
And when Jesus comes back, it's not in the form that he was walking in when he was doing his ministry on earth. He's glorified. And so he falls down. He's terrified. And isn't it beautiful what Jesus does? He stoops down, puts his hand on him, and says, fear not. And so right away, we know the purpose of these letters is for our encouragement. Jesus wants to build us up as his church. He wants to sustain us. He wants to empower us as his church to bear light to this world. And so that's the, that's the imagery that we get. It's really powerful. And so as we are preparing for the next 10 years as a church, all of you are part of that. We have to remember who Jesus is and who he wants us to be. And so as you're listening to this series, you're going to hear Jesus encourage the church. You're going to hear him criticize these churches. He's going to call them to repent. These churches represent all of the church for all time. And so I want us as a church Portico Church here in Arlington to think about what Jesus wants from us. And so that's going to take you engaging this series, maybe in a different way than you normally engage a sermon. You're going to, yes, think about how you can hear this and respond to it, but this is a corporate message. Jesus speaks to entire churches he doesn't just speak to an individual here and there. So he wants us as a church to see each other so closely connected that one of our failures is our entire failure. One of our victories is our entire victory. And so we are going to spend five weeks doing this, and really what it's going to feel like is it's going to feel like our hearts are being tilled. And if you're not a farmer, you might not know what that means. But it's breaking up hard ground. So over time, ground compacts, and it's really hard. And water and nutrients can't actually penetrate the soil and get into the ground. And so the soil becomes really bad for growing things. And so what farmers do and what gardeners do is they till the ground. And it literally is sticking a... Um, a big wedge into the earth and pulling it across a field and breaking up the earth. And so this is a series of preparation. We are going to have our hearts tilled as we prepare um, for planning and thinking about what we're going to do as a church together. And so I, I just I want to encourage you with that. Um, this, is, this is a great time to be here. This is a really important time to be at this church. Even if you are going to leave in a year and you're never going to come back to Portico, what you do here in the next year is going to have effects that will be generational. I firmly believe that. God is going to use this next year, two years, three years, in massive ways in our church. And so it is really important that each of us engage this um, with intention and urgently. 
So today, the series is kind of kicking off, um, and yeah, we're setting the stage a little bit, explaining the series, but we do want to open up this first letter. There's seven letters. We're going to take one or two at a time today. We're just going to take one, this first one, to the church in Ephesus. And what we're going to see, especially to the Ephesian church, is that Jesus demands that we reignite the light of love. He demands that we reignite the light of love. And so we're going to see this today. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and read this, and then we'll pray. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet, you ha- yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, um, God, for this direct and clear instruction. And God, I ask that we would come to you this morning with humility. Um, both us as, as an entire body and also individually. God, that we would be humble enough to receive your discipline and know that you intend it for our good and for your glory. And God, I also ask that you would light us, that you would show us off to this world and that you would make us a more loving church And that we would grow in that. And that we would bear witness to your love as we love each other and as we love our neighbors. And God, thank you so much for um, just for all of these people here and for the work that you're doing in them. And I just ask that you would be with them, that you would encourage them, and that we would go into this season of preparation boldly and expectantly. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you guys remember or have a strong memory of the first time that you came to Portico, um, but I do. Um, (laughs) It was about six years ago, and my wife and I had just moved out here. We weren't even married yet, and we had nothing. (laughs) We came out here for her job, and I didn't have... a friend out here. We had like maybe a hundred bucks in our bank account. We had nothing. And so we were kind of in a low spot for us. Um, 
starting out there. That was great. Um, and we were kind of exploring different churches in the area like a lot of people do. And we came to Portico, and we're like, oh, wow. Like, these people are really friendly. And they engaged us. And we're like, hmm, probably shouldn't go here. <laughs> so we went, went to a couple other churches. And the other churches, honestly, in a lot of ways, made way more sense for us. Um, like, in terms of, like, the check boxes that we were checking off in our wisdom, right? Um, some of the other churches just checked more of the boxes, to be honest with you. But something kept pulling us back to Portico, and it was, um, <laughs> it was a few people who reached out to us, and not even, they didn't even know what was going on, but they initiated, and they befriended us. And it was Ken and Jess White. Um, they've since moved down to Virginia Beach, and... Um, Uni and Katie Doe. Sorry, I'm emotional about this. Um, but for no reason, they reached out and they loved us in a way that we felt like we belonged here. And so um, we just were like, well, if we already belong, then we can't leave. <laughs> and it, later, I come to find out that was a really hard time for Portico. That was probably the hardest time for us as a church was right when we showed up. And we saw that love even in the darkest hour of the church. And so I know some of you have been here through that. Um, you were here from the beginning. You saw the pain and the heartbreak. And you were steadfast and you stayed put, and you were faithful, and you reached out, and you loved us. And so thank you for that. And then we're also a church plant, and so we were really young as a church. And with that comes a lot of challenges that require a lot of work. And that's another thing that is in Portico's DNA, is that we work really hard. Um, before, when we were at HB Woodlawn, Setting up and tearing down, we would have done that today and gotten soaked. <laughs> and everyone did it with joy, and everyone played a part, and it was wonderful. It was such a great season to be part of Portico. And time goes on, right? And we're a transient church, it's another part of our DNA. And so something starts to happen when you say goodbye a lot is that you start treating every relationship as if you're going to say goodbye. And so there's kind of a distance that can creep in. And there's a temptation to um, not engage maybe like you used to and to create some distance there. And when you go through a really hard season where there's some scarring, there's the reality that you don't feel the same way and you're tempted to become a little bit more indifferent. And all of that stuff is just reality. <laughs> the Ephesians were going through this. We don't really know too much about what was going on, but we know that they were struggling with this as well. And so... 
as we, as we open this up, I just want to acknowledge that for those of you who have been here for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, man, this is an encouraging and hard word this morning. <laughs> and engage it and go there. Let God take you there. Let God take you there. So in this letter to the Ephesians, Jesus first commends them, and then he criticizes them, and then he commands them to repent. And so we're going to walk through this a little bit, and then we will kind of um, wrestle with each other on how we can apply this. So the first thing that he does is he commends them. So Jesus, in the midst of his churches, looks at the church at Ephesus and says, I know your works. It's a little terrifying. He knows what they have done. He knows what they think. He knows um, all that they say. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And so a little history of the church in Ephesus. It's one of the churches that we know the most about because there's a letter that's written explicitly to them called Ephesians. There's also a record in Acts in chapter 19 where the gospel first comes to Ephesus, 12 men, and the gospel coming to Ephesus almost started a riot in Ephesus. So these people were transformed in such a way that it disrupted the city so much that people almost rioted. And then we also receive um, Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul writes that letter with the intention of it being read to that church. And so we know a lot about the church in Ephesus. And one thing that they were constantly battling was false teachers coming in and trying to lead people astray. And specifically, they were dealing with, um, with a group that we call them Judaizers. So basically, they were saying that you have to first become Jewish in order to be a Christian. But that was really just at the beginning. Over time, the main group that they were dealing with um, was a group that was teaching that you can worship in the pagan system that Ephesus was situated in, and you can be a faithful Christian. It's just like adding another god into the merry-go-round of gods. And so this was constantly a struggle for them. They, they were always being infiltrated by people who were trying to integrate the church back into the pagan system. And so Jesus sees them working and toiling and discerning, and he commends them for that. He says, well done. You test these so-called apostles and prove that they are false, and you stand tight. I see that. I commend you for it. And then in verse 6, we also see that the church was, um, was very good at hating what Jesus hated. And so the Nicolaitans were one of these groups of false teachers that did exactly what I just explained— they were a group inside the church who was basically saying, you can practice sexual immorality and eat food that's offered to idols and worship there. You can just be part of the pagan system and then go to church on Sunday. 
and like everything's good. There's no discrepancy there. And this church hated them. And so those are strong words. Jesus hates them because he knows that those people are leading people from his church out into death, into spiritual death and bankruptcy. And this church hates them. And so, so far, pretty good. The Ephesians were disciplining people. They were remaining pure. All good things. But in verse 4, we get this devastating critique. I mean, I don't know if you guys can feel the weight of this, but it is powerful. And it's almost more powerful because he just gave them this, like, compliment. He says, you're doing all of this, and you're doing a great job of it, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Abandoned the love you had at first. What does that feel like when a church doesn't love anymore? When a church abandons their love? It's cold. It's distant. People are bitter. They're quiet. They're indifferent. Selfishness is running amok. There's no sense of sacrificial service. Humility is out the window. It is not a pleasant place. So Jesus notices this happening at the church in Ephesus And he gives them this critique, and it really reminds me a lot of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Some of you may have thought about that when you heard this. Not the part that we typically read at weddings, but the part before that. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The light of the church is love. Without it, there is no difference between us and the world. There's nothing distinct about us. We can believe in our heads everything in this book and hold to it and wrestle with it and know it. But if it never penetrates into our hearts and out of our lives, we are no different than a book club. So the critique that he gives to the Ephesians is you, Ephesians, have fallen more in love with a set of ideas, and you're following now a set of ideas, and you've fallen out of love with a person, the person of Christ. And so he issues this this critique but he doesn't leave them there. He gives them this, um, this breath of air. It starts in verse 5. He gives them the way back. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent 
and do the works that you did at first. And then after that, and this happens every time God speaks and gives us a command, he also shows us the consequence. And he'll say, okay, if you don't listen and you don't obey, here's what will happen. And if you do listen and you do obey, here's what will happen. So listen to this. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the Ephesians get a really strong rebuke to love, and we're feeling that rebuke. So, church, let's feel it. Um, Let's feel it, and let's respond to it. And so if we're going to move back to the works that we did at first, um, to the love that we had at first, this can refer both as a church, you know, the early days of our church, but it can also refer back to the love that you had for Jesus when you first met him, when he first called you, when you first trusted him, and things were really easy. And it was like you were just letting go of things that you know he wanted, and it was a great joy. And you were doing things that seemed crazy (laughs) and that you thought you would never do, and it was fun. Those are the works that he's calling us back to. And the love that God has always commanded for his people happens in three dimensions. The first dimension is loving God. So that is actually the source of everything else, is that we have to recover a love for God in order to actually function as the church. The second way is loving each other. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. And so the second dimension of love is loving each other as fellow church members. And then the third one is loving our neighbors. So it doesn't just stay inside. It's not an internal love. It's light. It's going out. It's emanating. So we are to also love our neighbors. And it's all rooted in love of God and loving each other and loving our neighbors is exactly how we show our love for God. So don't imagine for a minute that you can love God without loving your neighbor. You can't do it. And don't imagine for a minute that you can love your neighbor if you don't love God. Can't do it. These all work together. So this command to repent happens in three dimensions, and I want to give us three different, um, three different ways that we can look at love, because that's such an abstract term. I think a lot of us might think we know what that means. Um, I know I certainly do. And so these are just really simple. It's not going to be all-encompassing, but it's going to be simple ways that we can actually put some of this into action. And the first is going to be through commitment, So love happens through commitment. So if you're not committed to something, you're not loving. It happens through a commitment. The second way is through um, prioritizing the other 
above yourself. And so making the other person, the object of your love, a priority above yourself. And then the third is sacrificial service. So when you're doing that, you're actually sacrificing and you're serving. And so love is very active. And so I'm going to speak specifically, um, and it's going to kind of hit probably a wide swath of people, but very specific things that we can do to love God, love the church, and love our neighbor in this way. So loving God, maybe you're here and your commitment to God has remained internal. And you have felt God working in you, and you've responded to him in a lot of ways, but you haven't gone public with that commitment. Then I would encourage you to receive, first, God's commitment to you by being baptized. And if that's not something you've done, that is something God wants you to do. That's receiving his commitment to you because baptism is a sign and a seal of his commitment, of his covenant to you. And that's how you respond. You partner with him in that. You say, yes, God, you are my God and I am yours. So if you haven't done that, that is a very concrete way that you can love God. You can prioritize him through having conversation with him. And so that's through Bible reading and prayer. So that's for all Christians, for everybody. You prioritize God when you have a conversation with him, when you receive his word to you, and then when you pour out your heart to him in prayer. And then serve him sacrificially with your entire life. So don't think that you can compartmentalize your life and live one way on Sunday and a different way Monday through Saturday. So turn the gaze of Jesus into your entire life, not just your life at church. And then you can love the church, committing to the church through membership. So if this is where I'm going to speak to some of you who are newer, uh, we need you. (laughs) We really need you guys, and we love you, and we're so happy that you're here. But our church is a revolving door. And so your commitment to us in membership is a way that you can love us. And it also opens the door up for us to love you in more meaningful ways than we can if you're just kind of visiting. So commit to the church through membership. We have foundations coming up next month, November 17th. Join us. And then prioritize the gathering of the church, both, you know, on Sundays, the corporate gathering, and also during the week, meeting up with members of your church. Prioritize that on your calendar. Give that priority over other things in your life. Give others that priority, because your presence, both here on Sunday mornings and in the lives of other Christians, is so important to them. So give them that priority. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it's inconvenient, give them that priority. Love like that. And then serve the church sacrificially in practical ways. So we still have huge needs, um, and everyone is gifted differently. And so no matter how you're gifted, put those gifts to work for building up the church. 
So if you're a musician, put those gifts to work. Join the worship team. If you have time and you're like, I don't really know what to do, please sign up for the kids' ministry. <laughs> we have a lot of kids. Um, and that it's such, it's such a gift to those kids to have faithful, consistent servants in those rooms. Join the hospitality team. Be that front door. Be that point of connection for somebody who needs you, who's new, and who needs a smiling face. So serve the church sacrificially in practical ways. And then finally, love your neighbor. So commit to get to know your neighbor. Commit to get to know your coworkers better. The men's um, ministry, we just had a great talk by Jim, and he gave us really practical ways of how we can engage people in very basic ways that are normal <laughs> and that um, are actually a blessing to those people. And so I would encourage you to get to know people in a way. Give them an encouragement. Give them a positive word when they need it. Change the culture of your work. Don't let the bitterness and the burnout of your workplace seep into you. But be a light in those places. So commit to that. Prioritize your neighbors and your coworkers by giving time to them. Prioritize their preferences over yours. <laughs> Prioritize their comfort over yours. These are very simple ways you can love them. And they won't even realize that you're loving them. It's great. And then serve them in tangible ways that bless them. So as you get to know them, as you engage them, as you learn more about their life, you are going to start to see need in their life. Maybe they need a friend. Maybe they need money. Maybe they need someone to vent about um, the perils of raising children to. Serve them. Serve them sacrificially in that way. And so in closing, I just want to remind us all that we, we worship a God who has first done all of this for us. The only reason we have any hope of repenting and turning and loving as we're supposed to is because Jesus has done this for us. He committed to us from all of eternity. He prioritized us our salvation, our knowledge of God, above his own Trinitarian bliss. And he served us. The Lord of the universe, the Son of Man, served us. And he served us specifically by being crucified by us. <laughs> and raising from the dead so that he can say and proclaim to John and to us today, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the living one. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And so we can love literally to death and not fear, because Jesus has the keys of death. And the promise that we are given, this is how Jesus makes us a winner. When we turn, when we start to love again, that's called conquering. In Jesus' economy, conquering is what happens when we start loving after we've stopped. 
And to those who conquer, he gives himself. The tree of life in paradise, that's Jesus. That's us in his presence forever. And so that is, that is the treasure that we get for all of this. So for the next four weeks, um, we're not going to solve all, all these riddles. We're not going to like turn into a dramatically lo- more loving church overnight. So I just want to kind of take that pressure off. But I want your hearts to be open to where you need to grow in love. And maybe you're one of those people who um, has been here for a long time, and you're like, I just want to survive now. Yeah. And do so by loving. (laughs) And maybe you're brand new, and you're like, I don't even know if I want to be here. Okay, well, decide quickly (laughs) and join us, right? Please join us. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for this series, and I hope that it really does prepare us well as we enter into a season next year um, of planning and celebrating all that God's done. Um, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you um, again so much for your word and for um, your encouragement and your exhortation. Um, God, it is really depressing to think of a world without churches that are on fire with love. And so, God, I ask that that would motivate us, that we would not give this world over to darkness and to indifference, to pragmatism, to all of the evil powers and forces that want to rob all of the light and all of the joy out of this world, but that we would stand firm and that we would remember the joy of our salvation and that we would turn that out back to you and into the world as we love you and love our neighbor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.